0: Hello and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance, IPA. IPA is a trade association and buying group representing 3,700 plus independent pharmacies leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now offers a comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education. And guess what? It's free of charge to members. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. So this is a really special episode. In this episode, we're going to do a mailbag episode. This is going to be a fun one. where We're going to answer our listeners' mail and email and questions that they have. So we have some pretty good questions. And I want to introduce Zach, our producer, he's going to be asking me the questions today. And uh, we have a really good set of questions, don't we, Zach?
1: Yeah, we got about 5-10 questions in here. So we'll see how many we can get to today. And then, you know, we could save some for later. But uh, I got a couple questions on this. So why don't we just start with the big guy? What do you think is the most important PBM-related news in 2023.
0: You know, Zach, there's so much news going on. The amount of PBM reform going on in Washington, D.C. and the states, it's more than I've ever seen before. I've been involved in independent pharmacy and PBM reform, government affairs for the last eight years. I've never seen so much action take place. And I think it's because there's been a real awakening of what PBMs do within the drug supply chain and how they influence drug prices. So the legislators, whether it's on the federal level, state level, they're all in tune in terms of understanding what role the PBM has, which is the center of the drug supply chain. But I think the biggest piece of news is this bill that they just passed to have committee in Congress. It's called the Drug Price Transparency in Medicaid Act. Now, what is Medicaid? The pharmacy owners, pharmacists, we all know what Medicaid is. It's a program that every state has that provides health insurance for patients who can't afford to purchase their own insurance. It's an extremely important program because one of the things that we don't want to happen is we want to give people preventative care. We don't want them to end up in the hospital because when a person goes to the hospital, they end up paying more money for the services they receive and the taxpayer ends up paying more money because er visits are extremely expensive so how do we curb that we curb that by providing people with preventative care and if they can't afford their own care where can they get it they get it through the state's medicaid program for instance in new jersey we have about 2 million people or within the New Jersey Medicaid system. So it's a really important safety net for low-income families, low-income people who cannot afford their own insurance or they're unable to get insurance through their job. So there's a bill in Congress called H.R. 1613. One of the things it will do, it will prevent a really egregious process that PBMs have called spread pricing, where they reimburse the pharmacy low and then charge their client high. And that's exactly what they're doing with the Medicaid program. In many instances, they're reimbursing the pharmacy very low, they're charging the Medicaid system very high, and they're keeping billions upon billions of dollars in the middle. And that's money that can be going back to the state, to these Medicaid programs, to reduce their costs, reduce the Medicaid beneficiaries costs, and reduce taxpayer costs.
1: You know, there's been a lot of news about them trying to balance the budget, right? There was a big discussion in Washington about what Democrats and Republicans would have to do to balance the budget to stave off, um, stave off the deficit. And one of the things that kept getting discussed was cutting back on Medicaid. Now, they've reached a deal. So it seems like Medicaid spending is safe now for a couple years but is that something that local pharmacists or patients are not worrying about now that they should be worrying about would that affect anything on an independent pharmacy level?
0: Well, I think you know everybody should be worried about any type of federal cuts to Medicaid because Medicaid is an extremely important program in the healthcare system. One It enables folks and people and patients who can't afford their own health insurance to have health insurance. It's keeping them out of the hospital. It's giving families, children, seniors the ability to go to their doctor and get preventative care. There's always discussions about budgets and cuts within various programs, but I believe the Medicaid program, at least within the state of New Jersey, New York, is staying whole. In New York, they recently cut out all of the PBMs within their Medicaid program, and thereby they're saving nearly $500 million in their first year alone. So that's something the state government did all on its own. They just cut out PBMs from their Medicaid program, and they're able to save $500 million. And this is how simple it is. All the PBMs really did in the Medicaid program was they collected the money from the patient and the state and then paid the pharmacy, and then they got paid. By cutting them out, the state is saving $500 million. New Jersey is looking to possibly do something similar within the next year or so. And in terms of what they did on the federal side, my understanding is that they passed Another bill, which I believe President Biden signed into law, which will allow the country to pay its bills. Yeah. But one thing I want to like remind a lot of people is that while we all hear about news on the federal level, state Medicaid budgets are mostly set by state governments.
1: So that's interesting because we actually got another question regarding the difference between federal and state. As an independent pharmacy owner, should I be paying attention more to what's happening on the federal level, or should I be paying attention more to what's happening on the state level, which is going to impact me more as, say, a New Jersey pharmacist, which is where we got this question
0: from? Well, I think it depends on your business. If you have more senior citizens and you do more dispensing within the Medicare program, Medicare is federal. So you really want to pay more attention to the federal program. But let's say you do more business from commercial plans and Medicaid plans. You really should be paying attention more to the state. So I think it all depends. Every independent pharmacy is different. They don't all fit into one basket. They serve different demographics. And some independent pharmacies serve lower-income demographics, where you have people who are on Medicaid. Some independent pharmacies serve various demographics where there have more people who are in commercial plans. And then there are other independent pharmacies that may serve an older demographic, senior citizens, who would be mostly on Medicare. So it all depends where the majority of your business is coming from. If the majority of your business is coming from Medicare... Sure, you want to pay more attention to Medicare because it's a federal program. So you want to pay attention to what they're doing on the federal side. If the majority of your business is coming from commercial plans or the Medicaid plan, you want to pay attention to what's going on at the state level. And
1: if I'm a member thinking about joining IPA, I'm asking you, Which does IPA have a better relationship with? Do you have a better relationship with legislators on the state level or the federal level?
0: We actually have good relationships with both. So we work with the National Community Farms Association. IPA is a member of NCPA. And NCPA are our federal partners. We support NCPA's efforts on PBM reform. They're leading the charge on that bill that we were just discussing previously on H.R. 1613, which would reform Medicaid programs. Now, yes, Medicaid is a state program, but there are federal laws and rules and bills that regulate state programs like Medicaid as well. So it would cut out this really horrible practice of spread pricing, which really just rips off the pharmacy, rips off the patient, and rips off the state. So in those instances, you know, you want to pay attention to the federal program. But yes, IPA does both federal and state lobbying. Most of what we do on the federal side happens through the National Community Farms Association with our support of NCPA and partnership with them. But on the state level, we're also partnered with a group of coalition pharmacy groups. So there's a group of coalition pharmacy groups in New Jersey, New York, and some other states that we partner with to try and enact change on the state level. So we do both.
1: Fantastic. All right. So one of the other questions we got, let's stay in the politician realm, is about politicians. And they were wondering do politicians still believe PBMs are saving patients' money on prescription drugs? Like, let's say you had 10 random politicians in a room. How many of those 10 still believe that PBMs are saving patients' money on prescription drugs?
0: Zach, that's a great question. And the reason I love that question is because when I started here eight years ago, And you would go in front of a state legislator or federal legislator, and you started to try to explain to them what a pharmacy benefit manager is, what a pharmacy benefit manager does, you would just get a blank stare. Nobody could understand it because it's so complex. Most thought, well, the manufacturer sets the price, and then the pharmacy sells, and then that's it. But TBMs have been such an obscure and opaque part of the drug supply chain that eight years ago when I started, it was extremely difficult to try to explain to a politician, whether on the federal or state level, this is what a PBM is. This is the role that they play in the middle of the drug supply chain. This is how much influence they have over the drug prices that patients pay at the pharmacy counter. And it was really extremely difficult and disheartening to try to talk to people and explain to them what it was. Fast forward eight years later, a lot of work was done, both on the state level and the federal level. The work was really education. It takes time to educate people, and politicians are just like everybody else. They know about some things, but some things they're not aware of. And it took some time to educate politicians about what PBMs are and what they do, because over the last eight years, when we were talking about drug prices, Everything was kind of geared towards drug manufacturers. If we required drug manufacturers to lower their price, all of a sudden, everybody would pay low prices. But for some reason, that didn't happen. We saw laws all around the country which would regulate manufacturer prices. But the patients were not actually seeing those lower prices. And so everybody kind of went, something is wrong here. There must be something else going on. And then they realize folks like myself and other people that advocate for independent pharmacy have been saying, you know what? They've been talking about these PBMs. What do these PBMs do? And these legislators, you fast forward eight years later, now they are so in tune with what PBMs do. They understand that PBMs artificially inflate the price of prescription drugs and keep a giant chunk for themselves. I would say it's a sea change between eight years ago and today in terms of understanding of PBMs and the willingness of politicians on both sides of the aisle to do something about this problem.
1: So the year is 2013, the Olympics are in Russia, everyone is doing the Harlem Shake, put yourself back there. How many of the 10 politicians would you say believe PBMs were saving patients money on prescription drugs?
0: I would say over 90%.
1: So nine of them. So how many now?
0: I think only 5% maybe believe.
1: We went from nine to one just in the course of
0: eight years. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly what happened.
1: That really speaks to the work of what groups like IPA are doing.
0: It does. You know, IPA has done a lot of work on the state level and also on the federal level. We've done that work collectively with our pharmacy group partners in the New Jersey Pharmacy Coalition, also by supporting the National Community Pharmacists Association, which has worked extremely hard on the federal level to enact a multitude of reforms and these huge things that are happening right now. I mean, you can't get Republicans and Democrats to agree on much of anything these days anymore. It's hard to get them to agree. But if you take a look at some committee hearings that they've had recently in Washington on PBM reform, you're going to see the most far right and most far left politicians agreeing on this, agreeing that there's a problem.
1: Speaking to that, you know, a lot of people were asking, going forward, how much more change can we expect with such a divided Washington. It seems that like they can't agree on anything. But what you're saying is that this is the one thing that they both believe in?
0: Yeah, there's so many disagreements, philosophically, politically, in, in DC. Obviously, we watch the news and the parties are more separated than they've ever been before. It's hard to get compromise on a lot of things to get people to sit down and talk to each other. But on this particular issue, they are actually agreeing with each other. And I think it's really interesting. Republicans believe in free markets. Democrats believe in safety nets and making sure that free markets don't overrun people as well. But this issue speaks to both sides. Because one, in the PBM market, we only have three companies that actually control almost 90% of the prescription drug market. So there is no free market here. There is no room for competition. And in order to lower prices, you need to have a free market. On the Democratic side, what's happening is that you have three companies who are dictating to the vast majority of patients what drugs they're allowed to take and what drugs they can't take and that they have to fail on certain drugs before their doctor can finally give them the prescription that they need. So thereby, these three companies are playing doctor and removing that crucial safety net. So here you have both Democrats and Republicans agreeing on something, but looking at it through two different lenses. On the one lens, why are prices so bad? Because there's no competition in this space. There is no free market. You have a near monopoly. On the other side of the fence, you have three companies, again, who are dictating to patients and dictating to doctors what drugs they can take and how much those drugs will cost them. So if you watch some of these committee hearings, they just had some just a week ago, there's a true meeting of the minds here between both sides. And you know. And sometimes you watch this kind of stuff and you say, I really wish there was more of this.
1: I'm going to have to take your word because I'm just not going to sit there and watch committee hearing. I'm just, I just, you know, I don't know what you do on your Friday nights and have fun with it, but that doesn't sound like a hoot and a hollow to me.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, Zach. You know, different strokes for different folks.
1: Right? Sure. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, speaking about getting things done, we have some new rules coming in. One of the questions we got was, what does the new CMS Durfee rule do? beginning on January 1st, so next year.
0: So this is kind of kind of really interesting because pharmacy owners and pharmacists know exactly what DIR fees are. The simplest way to describe what a DIR fee, a D-I-R fee is, it's a fee in the federal Medicare program. That's the program most senior citizens are in. What they do is when a pharmacy dispenses a prescription drug, the pharmacy benefit manager charges them a fee. And that fee was always supposed to go towards saving prescription drugs, lowering the drug price for senior citizens in the Medicare program. But what the federal government found out, they did a report going back, I don't know, almost a decade or more, was that instead of this money, these fees that were being collected from pharmacies going towards lowering the drug price, $10 billion just got lost, banished into thin air. And they, uh, they said, if these fees were actually used to reduce the drug price for the patient when they bought their prescription drug, it could have saved nearly $9 to $10 billion over the course of the last decade or so. So CMS, which is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, this is the federal department that regulates both Medicare and Medicaid programs. Well, they decided that Taxpayers, senior citizens, and everybody under the sun have been getting ripped off for years, including independent pharmacies. So what what do they decide to do? They're still going to collect these fees from the pharmacies. But instead of the PBM just taking it and it disappearing to outer space, they're going to apply these savings directly to the prescription drug price of the patient to lower their drug price. So that's one thing that it's going to do. It's all designed to lower that drug price for the Medicare Part D patient, senior says, On the other hand, what it's going to do, it's also going to give that independent pharmacy that's dispensing the drug more certainty about what they're getting paid.
1: Now, I know everything that IPA is doing on the independent pharmacy level, but if I'm the host of a PBM podcast and I'm fighting up against independent pharmacies, then let me ask, as the new PBM host the Pharmacy Benefit Podcast, what are they doing? Because this it seems like a pretty sweet deal to not only get their money back, but then charge you interest. That seems like a pretty sweet deal for the PBMs. So what are they doing to fight against new rules like this coming to keep their profit margins sweet?
0: Well, just like everybody else, they go to Washington, D.C., they go to the states, they hire lobbyists, and they try to influence the legislators. And their influence really comes from scare tactics. So the main thing when myself and my pharmacy coalition partners, when we testify in committee on PBM practices, after we testify, PBMs will go up and they will tell them, look, if you curb any of our practices whatsoever, patient premiums on their health insurance will go up. Drug prices will increase. They will just use those scare tactics to try to tell people that, well, if you think things are bad now, wait and see what's going to happen when you try to curb our profiteering. Because they want to convince us that their profiteering somehow benefits us in some way. And I think for a long time, that argument kind of worked. They're so big, they must know what they're doing. But I think this is a case where the emperor has no clothes. People are now seeing through this because they're saying Americans pay more for prescription drugs than any other nation on earth. And the question is, why? Initially, everybody was looking at the manufacturer, but then... Some rules, laws, regulations were passed The manufacturers, and that really didn't have the effect that everybody wanted. And then they were saying, but you know what? You had these independent pharmacies who are dealing with this every single day, talking about TBMs. What are they? People started looking into them. Maybe they really are a problem. And getting back to what you were asking, Zach, what are they doing now? They're doing high-priced ad campaigns, TV, internet, social media. They're doing the same thing in the federal and state government where they're sending their lobbyists and they're sending their so-called experts to talk to the legislators. But getting back to what we were talking about before, Zach, nobody's buying it anymore. That's why we're seeing such unity amongst the Democrats and Republicans on this issue, because nobody's buying it anymore.
1: So- talking about some of these PBMs and these rules, one of the questions we got was about the New Jersey PBM laws specifically, and they just want to know what will they do?
0: Well, the New Jersey PBM laws have been in place for about five or six years right now. And specifically for the pharmacy owner, the bottom line is that when pharmacies are underpaid, they've always been allowed to appeal those underpayments. But in the past, especially in New Jersey and other states, the PBM's decision was final. If they said they paid you the right amount, there was nothing else you could do. Now, there are requirements in New Jersey on PBMs with every single appeal, and we're only talking commercial plans, which is about 30% of the market here in Jersey. If it's a commercial plan appeal, pharmacy was underpaid for when they dispensed a the drug. They filed the appeal. The PBM is supposed to tell that pharmacy what wholesaler in this entire country sells that drug at the PBM's reimbursement rate or below the PBM's reimbursement rate. And if it doesn't exist, then they have to make the pharmacy whole. They have to pay them a higher amount. Like with every other law, these particular laws we're fighting right now to get full enforcement on. You know, it's hard to get these huge companies to follow the law you know as as sad as that sounds when you're dealing with extremely powerful companies like these they will try to do runarounds on various laws and statutes and i think there's a lot of good stuff happening in new jersey right now that the governor of new jersey governor murphy is doing to try to get a handle on this where he's trying to give the state more enforcement ability to regulate pbms not just to help the pharmacies to make sure they get paid the right amount, but also lower the prescription drug costs for the patients. That's happening here on the state level. And we're working together with our pharmacy coalition partners here in New Jersey to try to make sure that those laws are adhered to.
1: So if the law has been passed for three to four more years, then I'm wondering, like, how many more years are we going to have to keep fighting this fight?
0: I think we're going to see something by the end of this year and next year. Governor Murphy has a prescription drug package that he's moving through the legislature. There's a lot of bipartisan support for the same reasons that we were talking about before. Legislators are realizing that PBMs are a huge drag on the drug supply chain, and they're having really too much of an influence on the drug price. And not only that, they're having too much of an influence on which drug the patient is taking, not leaving it up to the doctor, which is where it should be. So I think we're going to see some real reforms hopefully this year. It's moving through right now. There are some minor disagreements within the legislature, but... We're working together closely with our pharmacy coalition partners here in New Jersey, and hopefully we're going to have some good news before the end of the year on the enforcement of these laws.
1: We are running out of time, so I do have time for one more question, and this was a weird one, so bear with me. This person wanted to know, what's your favorite Disney ride? Now, why would they be asking that?
0: I don't know, but I like it. (laughs) I don't know why they would ask that, but I'm going to answer it. It was Space Mountain. Because it was extremely psychedelic. (laughs) Yeah. You would get on that ride. I'd never been on it before, but I heard about it. It's an old ride. I think it's been there forever. I was thinking, how can this old ride be any fun? It was a blast because it's all indoors, mostly Mm -hmm. indoors. It's a ton of colors all the way around. You don't know if you're up or down or upside down or whatever. Even my son, who says, oh, he told me this is an old ride. It's not going to be any fun. It was just a blast to go through. So. That was my favorite ride. So I highly recommend anybody to go on that ride. Just make sure you're healthy enough because there's a sign in Disney on every ride. Sure. That tells you, hey, you know, if you got a heart condition, don't get on it. I would say, if you have a heart condition, don't get on this ride.
1: Fair enough. It was fun. How old was your son when you took him to Disney?
0: He was about maybe 9, Nine okay. Is that old. the
1: sweet spot? Cuz I have two yeah. kids, a 3-year-old and a 5-year-old and you know Disney on the horizon, but like I'm not going to take you know my 3-year-old now. He's not going to remember that. I'm not wasting that kind of money
0: on a 3-year-old. He's not going to remember? I think you're absolutely right. I think if you take your kid when they're 3 years old, it's they're not going to remember, they're not going to really appreciate it. For that kind but of money,
1: right. you better remember this for the rest of your life.
0: Oh. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. You know, it's like putting a down payment on a house. Yeah. I remember I took them at nine, 10 years old. It's a sweet spot because there's still some magic there. Got they it. They still believe I in the tooth fairy. They still believe in Santa. They're still believing in you know all these magical things. And so you take them there and they're a little older. They understand things a bit more. So they appreciate things more, but at the same time, they still have that magic in their yeah. eyes because they they feel this is real sure. in some ways. Yeah, All I this know. is kind of real. And as an adult, taking your kid there, you can kind of live vicariously through them. All right.
1: Well, okay. In a couple of years, I'll have to ask you more about it because uh, for right now, we're just happy to go into Sesame Place. It's a little amusement park in a parking lot. It's that's that's where. Yeah, Sesame right Place. <laughs> good.
0: Watch out for Oscar the Grouch. Oh no!
1: My my one son loves Oscar. It's his favorite oh, one. <laughs> it's his yeah. favorite one. He loves loves He's that Oscar one. likes trash. A three-year-old likes trash too. So it's fantastic. <laughs> We're all about Sesame Place right now. It's a little cheaper. A little, saving a little bit of money compared to going that's to awesome. Disney. Well, that's all we have time for today. Anthony, thanks so much for answering these questions. And guys, if you have more questions, please feel free to email us. And uh, Anthony, what's the best way for them to reach out to us?
0: The best way to reach out to us is at info at ipagroup.org. So if you have any questions, email at info at ipagroup.org. Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the President and CEO, John Giampolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. Thank you very much. Bye for now.